Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Entangling Web3 podcast. Alec, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. It's getting uh, darker much earlier these days, so I've got a bit of mood lighting going on to compensate for that. But otherwise, good. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, we got to the part of the year where actually staying in at night and podcasting doesn't seem like we're missing out. There's not as much FOMO at the minute, so that's nice. We can actually justify sitting in our bedrooms talking about blockchain Web3 without feeling guilty or being judged by our friends. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's uh, it's apt that we're bedroom bound today because we are, we're covering one of the, the elephants in the room, a slightly more controversial topic that might lend itself to the basement dwelling. And of course, that can be nothing else than, <laughs> than crypto, right? So the crypto industry, I say industry in inverted commas, but you know, crypto is a phrase we've used many times in passing because it, it, it describes lots of things quite quite well. It's like a catch-all term, but I think today we're maybe going to get a bit more opinionated, talk about, you know, what we <laughs> actually think about the crypto industry. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you want to, how do we kick this off, Alex? Should we, should, we, should we just give a quick, how do we feel about crypto? I mean, I don't know, do you want to go first? Because uh, I, I know, I know yeah, he has some strong thoughts. I don't know if we can get much stronger than your kickoff about sitting in your basement. <laughs> I think you've set the tone and made your opinions quite clear. Um, yeah, I think anyone working in the Web3 or blockchain space has experienced this, right? It's like someone asked me what I do. I'm like, I work in Web3. What the hell's that? I work in blockchain. What the hell's that? I work in crypto. They're like, oh, one of those Ponzi schemes. Like, it's the classic. It's like everyone kind of knows a little bit about crypto and it doesn't it's very rarely positive what they do know about crypto um and you know i kind of, i was thinking about this and on the surface i'm i'm annoyed i'm like you know oh, it's not what i do i try to you know solve real world problems i try to you know develop things that will actually you know have positive impact on humanity and whenever someone hears that you work in blockchain which is associated with crypto they're like oh you're just trying to make a quick book and run a ponzi scheme and i think on the surface level that is a lot of the experience right but then you kind of, when I was thinking about it and thinking about this episode, there are some positive impacts to the whole crypto, crypto bros. Like the fact that people know about it, you know, is actually quite a positive thing for an emerging technology. You know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. But it is it is good that people actually kind of have an understanding of crypto. And there's a lot of people, even if all they know 
is crypto and they don't understand the blockchain underpins and all the utility that can come with that. Maybe they got into crypto for actually some positive reasons. And I do want to speak a little bit about the positive impact. It's mm. not all basement dwellers. Yeah, fair enough. That's a, that, that's a, a nice, fairly charitable uh, summary, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's true. Like, you know, as you say, when someone asks you what you do and, and you end up saying, well, I kind of, I, I work in crypto just to be, make it easy. They, they often go, oh, so you're a trader. So you, uh, you, mm. you sit around all day flipping meme coins and, and trying to make a quick buck. And it's actually, you know, this is the the, the, the tarnished reputation that you have with crypto. But um, yeah, and, and people, you know, I would say I've been working in, in the blockchain field, you know, as, as a researcher for over five years now. I wouldn't necessarily say I've been working in the, the crypto space even in that time. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's very different but I'm, I'm curious what do you how would you actually describe crypto if you're being honest you know if you're if for the first time and you let's carry on that conversation and they go yeah. oh crypto you're a trader you, you're, you're a ponzi schemer or whatever and you go actually no this is what crypto is how what would you say to them then i tend to walk away before we get to that stage because the conversation just ends um no if someone's like okay you're a trader you work in crypto i usually say no i'm not that I'm a developer. Think of me as someone that works on applications or someone that's working in the internet, depending on the level of person that I'm speaking to. And then, you know, they'll say, so, you know, okay, maybe what do you think about cryptocurrency? And I'm like, oh man, I think so many things about cryptocurrency. Like it's, it's a misnomer, right? Like it, it's not a currency as most people tend to think of it. It's not a kind of a traditional state run fiat issued currency. And I think like the name itself has brought around a lot of issues because people see currency, they think oh, it's stable. They think that, you know, governments have backed it and it's regulated and all these things. And I think this has led to a lot of the issues with, with cryptocurrencies and people's understandings and trusting cryptocurrencies. And then if they're still listening to me at this point, the likelihood of the, is they've probably walked away. I'd say, well, you know, actually, cryptocurrency is kind of like a, a little piece of a, a, the blockchain, right? And it's used to, you know, it's used to orchestrate good behavior in the blockchain. I would try and get them to listen to our tokens episode and say, you know, okay, it's actually a little token that's used to incentivize people to act good or, you know, exhibit good behavior on the blockchain. And, you know, it's actually a core piece of blockchain. And, you know, by then they've almost certainly gone. So it's like the conversation's over. But like, what, what would you try and say to someone then when they ask you about this stuff? Well, I, I think um, the first thing I would normally say is like crypto and how I describe it. Crypto is this term that, you know, like it or not, is a catch-all in the same way that AI is a catch-all for anything involving kind of automation uh, machine learning, deep learning, and captures all these different fields. And crypto is just a nice shorthand that has developed into what people use to refer to basically any blockchain-based new kind of not government-backed money or token systems, that kind of thing. And I completely agree when you say it's a misnomer. And it's actually, it's a misnomer on two counts, which I find really funny. It's like the worst word you could use <laughs> because, you know, cryptocurrency, you have crypto, which is you, the intention is to mean kind of cryptography. So like mm. uh, encrypting data, hiding messages, that kind of concepts we talked about before. Yeah. Now, this was all popularized, of course, as we always say, by Bitcoin. And Bitcoin wasn't the first cryptocurrency. There are many, many more before it. You had kind of digital cash systems like, um, mm -hmm. like DigiCash, Wayday's B Money as a proposal. You had uh, 
the Liberty Reserve, you know, as a kind of criminal version of all this. And Bitcoin came along and popularized it because it did it so well. It did dig mm-hmm. digital currency, digital money. Sorry, I'm using, I'm, I'm falling into the trap myself. It did digital, <laughs> it did digital money so well that it popularized this whole industry. And now we have, you know, mm. so many, so many crypto, cryptos around. But Bitcoin itself, you know, that's the, that's the irony. It doesn't use encryption. So that's mm. why people say, oh, how can you use this blockchain? It's all encrypted and it's not encrypted. Uh, you know, we had that slight faux pas in episode two, I think, Alec, when we were talking about the the Genesis block. I remember. Yeah, back in the day when we, we didn't know much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the crypto part is a misnomer because, you know, Bitcoin itself isn't encrypted. Many blockchains, Ethereum, most of the really big popular ones do not use encryption by default. Mm. And then the second term, as you said, currency, they're not actually currencies really in the, in the traditional meaning because currency is something that is state-backed almost by definition. Yeah, It's fiat money is a currency, really. I'm not a monetary theory expert by any means, but that's what we <laughs> tend to mean. And things like Bitcoin are more like a commodity money, like as we've yeah. talked about, this old style of using commodity to pay for goods and services. It doesn't really function quite like a currency in the, in the way that, you know, governments aren't necessarily having to issue it but you know it could work as a currency if it gets adopted well it could look like a currency but you yeah. know it doesn't really describe them very well right now in my opinion and i think like the, the fact that it is called a currency in a, in a way is kind of reflective of how speculative most of the uses potentially today in a lot of the cryptocurrencies we see and i think that the big issue with that is that the measures for success or the metrics for success of cryptocurrencies are so backwards, they don't actually capture actual progress, right? It's all about networks with um, like large market caps. And this doesn't translate to usage or utility. Like you look at BTC, it's got a huge market cap. It's, what is it, like 400 billion, 500 billion, something like that. I forget, it changes that every day. But does anyone actually use it? Like it was meant as an electronic monetary system, right? No one's, you know, cash system, like no one's using it day to day. And I think the fact that we've kind of defined the success of cryptocurrencies as the total market size is ridiculous. Like that is not how how technology should be measured. It should be measured in the actual people using it. So the number of transactions that are going through, like how much utility we're actually getting from that. And that's one of the biggest issues I have, I think, is that when people hear the term crypto, they think speculation. And they don't think of utility and the benefits that come with all the blockchain uh, kind of all the blockchain fundamentals that we've been speaking about during this podcast. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important, you know, you mentioned utility because that contrasts one of the big narratives around, you know, BTC and, and lots of the you know cryptos that have followed it in the same vein is that it's often touted as a kind of store of value. So something you can put mm. your assets in as a safe haven and, you know, <laughs> It's, it really is very difficult to argue, in my opinion, that it is a good store of value because it's it fluctuates so much. You know, we saw mm-hmm. in 2020 during the start of the, the COVID pandemic, I think 30 or 40 percent of the whole market cap across all cryptos is wiped off in like mm-hmm. half a day. You know, that doesn't seem like it's storing value very well. And it depends when you got in and, and when you when you might get out determines that i was gonna say it's like the california gold rush right you have all these mines and like everyone's running there and you think that all the miners are making money to get that once they've got there and it's not true it's like the miners aren't the miners didn't actually make that much money from the california gold rush it was the people that were selling the equipment to the miners trying to make money who made all the money and i feel like we're in this kind of state right now everyone's investing in crypto thinking it's gonna make a quick book or a big return of investment and all this kind of stuff but really it's the people that are selling it and the people that are facilitating the exchange 
fringe of the cryptocurrencies that are making all the money right now. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, I think, to raise, because the people who have profited the most off crypto, apart from, you know, the successful Ponzi schemers and things like that, are the equipment manufacturers, the uh, the bit, I think, Bitmain being, you know, one of the mm-hmm. developers of the, the, they call them ASIC chips mm-hmm. and, and machines to mine proof of work crypto. But you also have um, the rise of GPUs, graphics processing units, mm-hmm. which previously, you know, you get them, you, these graphics cards in your computer to, to, to run high performance games. You think of, again, a gamer in their bedroom with a nice big <laughs> uh, personalized computer, they will have their own custom GPUs. And NVIDIA has seen like unbelievable growth in the last few years because of so many cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. using this slightly lower energy intensive, but um, more affordable, uh, in quotes, kind of mining where GPUs yeah. are practical to use and they are they are raking it in. Like there's a huge shortage in GPUs now across the gaming industry and in because of the rise of crypto. Yeah. And there is definitely something to be said about like the holding of value. I think it's like over 300 million people right now own crypto around the world. And imagine if you live somewhere like Zimbabwe or Argentina and the, the currency that your government backs is experiencing hyperinflation. Like the value is depreciating every single day. Um, I think one of the stats around like Zimbabwe, the peak of like hyperinflation was that the, the value of currency was halving every 24 hours. Imagine being someone in that country. And like you say, I, well, I don't believe in the fiat system that we have set up right now. I don't believe in the government. I don't trust in all these kinds of measures. And you look at something like obviously the first thing you think is inflation is bad, right? I'm against inflation because it it I think it directly negatively affects the poorest in society because they have, say, the 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 say maybe it's the most difficult for them to invest like i think it's like poor people in society can invest in like classic bonds and publicly listed shares and bonds but they don't have access to certain type of assets you immediately say okay the poorest disadvantage they're taking the brunt of the hyperinflation why wouldn't they invest in something that's anti-inflationary why wouldn't they invest in something like bitcoin i can like although i disagree with it to an extent i think it's it shouldn't be used as store of value like you say it fluctuates a lot and all this kind of stuff i do understand the sell and i could imagine if i was in this position like being from argentina or zimbabwe i would invest i would see this as a means to kind of store value and actually appreciate value over time and it's like like i say it democratizes investment or that's the the sell anyway is that anyone can invest in these there's no kind of you know limitation to entry or threshold to entry for these kind of cryptocurrencies yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, yeah, this fact that lots of cryptocurrencies are, are marketed, and again, we can we can maybe touch on some of the core properties or like the, again, a lot of this is philosophical about what what mm. crypto is because to different people it means different things. We say that all the time, and one of those that you mentioned is being anti-inflationary, or sometimes they'll say dis, uh, disinflationary or deflationary, mm. so that you know instead of what we see, and, and again, the narrative has been. Uh, furthered by the last few years with so much money printing in America and across the world, mm. you know, the value of the money in your pocket in, in fiat currency is is going down in terms of purchasing power with inflation being so high. And a huge part of that sell is of, of crypto has classically been, you know, a fixed supply, right? That is one of the mm-hmm. core things that most many, many people have got into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies purely on the back of the fixed supply uh, mm-hmm. supposed guarantee now we can come on i think we'll come on to that in the future whether that's a, a, cla- a clad iron guarantee because i don't think it necessarily is you, you're mm-hmm. seeing actually some talk in btc at the minute about potentially raising that cap to make it economical but putting that aside that is that is one of the characteristics but there are others that i think characterize 
you know, what is what is crypto to most people? So another one would be obviously decentralization. There's a big anarchistic flavor. You know, you said the non-government issued money. A lot of people yeah. don't trust classical institutions, governments, like that it's a money not run by a government. Um, and also the anonymity side, right? So that people kind of consider these these coins to be anonymous. And there's, there's a, a lot of debate to be had around how anonymous they are, you know. Um, I kind of take the view that they are more like pseudonymous. So you... Mm. Uh, they're not anonymous because the, you, you have certain information recorded and it's it's not impossible to link identity to um, to, to cryptocurrency if you want. You know, we talked um, uh, in a recent episode about uh, CoffeeZilla linking identities of, of, of people yeah. to, to Ethereum addresses and things like that. And uh, it's, uh, back to that point, it's not, it's not encrypted, which means it's not kind of purely anonymous but that is a big draw for people as well because people just think it's anonymous lots of criminals have tried to use crypto in mm. the last kind of 10 years thinking anonymous is, anonymity is this really useful property when maybe it's not actually there for lots of them which is mad because when we're talking about blockchain one of the main words we use to sell it is transparency right it's all about it being out there anyone could publicly assess this kind of stuff but like you said like it, it's pseudo uh, pseudonymous that's the one that's such a difficult word to say it gets me every time yeah it's impossible um, so, to those three points then so the first one was inflationary versus deflationary right and it, i always kind of contended with this like i get it you know we work we, have, we live in this society where everyone's specialized you know you earn a wage and it seems a bit bonkers that you know earning your wage if you just earn your money every month that money depreciates over time so you also say on top of you know being a laborer or working as a dentist you also need to understand assets and financial services to keep up with the pace of inflation in society to make sure the money you're earning you know is actually matched to the, what's going on in the economy and this always kind of blew my mind it seemed kind of anti-capitalistic in a way that you specialize in a career to add society but then you also need to have a basic understanding of investments and how to grow your portfolio and all this kind of stuff to keep up with the rate of pace of society. And I, I kind of get the deflationary uh, kind of angle against that. Say, well, well, don't do that. Make it deflationary store value. But then I guess what you would say is the whole point of capitalism is you invest in the future and you hope that the future is more prosperous. So you invest in betting on the future being gained and that's how you get growth and constant growth is good. Whether that's true or not, it's up for debate. Yeah, I think um, for me, I also, I also can see the the argument for why you know deflationary currents or, or kind of non-inflationary i kind of would normally say uh money is useful because it for, for starters it's it's apolitical so it's not the whims of any group of people necessarily for for you know a term of four or five years or 10 years or mm. something like that so yeah it, it's not quite affected by fiscal policy in the same way that governments can just go and print money and that is it's a real thing right everyone is struggling mm -hmm. with inflation so having something that doesn't have that and as you said the hyperinflation cases there, there's an obvious reason to go to to what we call cryptocurrencies uh, for better or worse because you know another, another problem people levy is the um this isn't a good store of value this is not necessarily deflationary because of the volatility you know if you're measuring it in dollar terms or dollar denominated terms um, then the volatility is really bad. But in some of those countries, it's still comparable or even better than you get yeah. there. And all of this is at the minute because, you know, frankly, um, no crypto, including Bitcoin, is is big enough yet to be um, global money and to be a kind of um, 
uh, a unit of measure or unit of account, sorry, for, for, for mm. value, really, in, in a meaningful way, because everyone is measuring their purchasing power in dollars still, or, or one of the big yeah. currencies. So when you say deflationary, you basically mean with respect to the dollar, which is being constantly yeah. inflated, it's, it looks deflationary. You get better purchasing power. You buy more dollars per um, per BTC, for example. But, um, you know, will we ever get to a... Do you think we'll ever get to a stage where um, you don't have to compare the price of a crypto to to a, to a fiat-backed currency? Do you think it can ever get there and act more like a, an actual currency? Oh, well, I don't understand because we compare all currencies to dollar, right? I can't imagine... I understand what you're saying mm -hmm. is that the right now the association is so based on speculation that we are always comparing things in terms of dollar value, be it market cap or be it the price of one Bitcoin versus dollars and all this kind of stuff. Like I am hoping and this is, you know, we're experiencing a crypto winter right now, which most people who are involved in the crypto space see as a bad thing, right? Because they've lost loads of money. But I've seen more people who work on the development and utility side kind of seeing it as a bit of a purge, which is probably good for the ecosystem. You get rid of the people that are purely here to flip, you know, a quick book or, you know, speculate and Ponzi schemes and all this kind of stuff. And you get like the, the kind of the essential core that are actually developing real world applications and trying to take, you know, these so-called the use of these so-called cryptocurrencies to actually add value to society and your know, work for everyday people. And that's a big thing is that, you know, the original white paper, I mean, it's kind of this is a bit of conjecture, but it seemed like it was targeted in my mind anyway, towards people making small everyday cash payments. Right. And mm -hmm. we're not seeing that anymore. When you look at like the people that actually own like BTC and the big cryptos, it's like, you know, it tends to be big investment people, like people that are already millionaires just trying to make self-perpetuate their own wealth. And it's meant for an everyday cash system for, you know, micro incentives seem to be more like targeted towards the poorest in society. And that's just not how they're being deployed right now. And from a philosophical standpoint, standpoint that really does upset me. Yeah, I I am kind of on the same lines as that. Like, and, and you have this real chicken and egg problem in the adoption of crypto because it is so speculatory. And if there's one, if you had to say in one word, what is crypto? I'd say speculation because it's just mm -hmm. a vehicle for for speculation across the board, right? And you know, a good example of this, which I, I think this story really doesn't help in terms of um, adoption of crypto because it makes people want to hold or hodl. Uh, it's about time we said hodl <laughs> um, <laughs> on the show, you know, which everyone says as, as this meme to hold your crypto and never, you know, buy it. They could say stack, hashtag stack sats, you know, stack satoshis, which are the base unit in Bitcoin. They say, just going to stack sats. I'm going to hold it until I'm a millionaire. You know, this time next year, Rodney will be millionaires. Um, but this story that I'm referring to uh, is uh, Bitcoin Pizza Day. Are you, are you familiar with this? I, I feel like you must be because everyone knows this one. I don't know, man. I'm not as heavily involved in the space as you are. Really? Give me some, yeah, give me the lowdown. You can see I've been in this game longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I can't remember how long ago it was now. It must have been at least uh, eight years ago or something. I should have really checked mm -hmm. which year. But the, the, the very first, what was considered the first ever financial transaction for real world goods of Bitcoin was this mm -hmm. guy called uh, Laszlo Heinich. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. But he actually bought a pizza or two pizzas. Uh, guess how much he paid for yeah. them at the time? In BTC, uh, I think we've bought, we fact, I think we factored this before. Like BT was it like one BTC or something like that, but that was like 
I don't know, at the time it was like a hundred dollars and now it's worth like whatever it is now, like forty thousand yeah. dollars or something. It's worse than you think, Alec. I'm gonna <laughs> this I'm gonna Go shock on. you. It was it was ten thousand BTC. So wow. at the time wow. at the time he bought these two pizzas, yeah, it was thirty dollars. Uh, and I just checked before we came on and, and today that's two hundred and seventy million or would have been six hundred and forty eight million at peak. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. And and th- this well, kind of story is what people think of. They think, oh, if I just get in early, I'll make millions, you know. But I think we're beyond that point now. But people still think that kind of speculation can work, which is crazy to me. It's just like they say, it's like the gold rush. It's like those people early on in the first five to six years compared to now. Yeah, yeah, they made a lot of money, the people that have held. But it's like, this is why I understand the, the, the Ponzi scheme stuff, like the people at the start. They make the most amount of money because they're building on top of other people who are investing. And it's the people that are lasting and the rug is swept from out under from underneath and that lose all their money and the people that gains you know, make the most of that and kind of capitalize on those issues. And like the lack of regulation around this crypto space makes that far easier to do, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think they call it um, greater fool theory, right? Is, uh, mm. is this term mm. they use to describe why do people keep falling for Ponzi schemes, you know, where you, you keep bringing more people in, it's a pyramid mm. and it will you it will collapse. And actually, the, one of this theory is that people just assume they're not the, the, the bottom of the pyramid. They think <laughs> they are cleverer than the average and they'll be somewhere nearer the top of the pyramid and they can get out before it falls apart. You know, everyone thinks they're a clever investor that they are. And you have these massive social kind of networking effects that, 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 that somehow cause these things to keep keep happening i mean i'm sure we'll talk about ftx later when we kind of consider the downsides but you know we we, we keep seeing these things recurring we're already seeing talks of an ftx 2.0 which just blows my mind i can't believe that, <laughs> that that's going to happen we're just not learning from these mistakes so speaking of people that think they're above average intelligence um i think the next term that i want to come on to which i'm going to pull in our friend chat gpt to help me define just to have a nice neutral standpoint on this is crypto bro like i get labeled with this all the time like friends they know it really like pushes my buttons when someone says what do you do and then my friend will share over from across the room like he's a crypto bro don't don't talk to him about his job that kind of stuff I'm like oh no i'm not a crypto bro um but yeah for those at home who don't know what this is a, a crypto bro is a colloquial that emerged from the cryptocurrency and blockchain communities. It refers to individuals, typically men, who are overly enthusiastic or zealous about cryptocurrencies, especially in a way that's perceived as shallow, unsophisticated, or opportunistic. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I feel that's seen. Quite funny. I feel seen. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people that fit into into that 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 bucket, right? I, I hope to God that I'm not one of them. My friends don't see me as that, but I do know a lot of people in the crypto space that fit into that bucket. Like I see them on social media all the time posting about, you know, the next big scheme that everyone needs to get onto. And you ask them, you know, what is it? Why is there value? And they're like, you know, it's just like decentralized, man. It's transparent, man. It's immutable. And you're like, okay, what does it actually mean? How's that compare with other technologies? And they're like, ah, oh, just, I don't know. Ask the tech guys. You're like, oh God, come on. Just a crypto bro. Yeah, I think I, I think there was always a, a risk of being perceived as a one of these crypto bros and being in that culture when you're you're two blokes starting a podcast about Web three. <laughs> you know, it could I mean because a lot of podcasts out there are there to pump someone's bags, as we say. So um, yeah, it's it's I mean, well, I guess it's worth mentioning the kind of the community around crypto. It's 
in my opinion again i've been in it for five years observing mainly but crypto twitter is its own thing right it's known widely as the worst portion of twitter in many ways it's it's got some of the worst discourse it's so tribal it's like football on steroids you know everyone has got their own camp and they're so financially incentivized to have certain opinions about different coins and different cryptos and different blockchains that yeah it's it's hideous out there like i, I can barely open twitter now yeah, i don't know about you if you've been I, here no you know, not not as long you you won't have as bad a twitter feed as me right now I'm not in that space. Like I'm completely off Twitter. I just found it so there was just so many trolls on there. Like not targeted at me, but like it's like every the spam, the trolls, the negativity. Like it was just it was horrible. So I'm off it. But for for reference, everyone at home, Jack most days will come and be like, "Have you seen this thing on Twitter?" And then I'm like kept up to date through Jack. I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm aware yeah. of this, and it's 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 bad. Like it's just so negative, man. It's like it's like religious zealotism, like what it's out right these days, right? And it's just I don't understand. It's just technology. It's like why why are people getting so fundamental and kind of philosophical about these things because well, it, it it's because there's people have got too much skin in the game right the incentives mm. are so again this is part of the interesting thing about about bitcoin and all the these cryptocurrencies that and i'm just going to say right now right i use crypto uh begrudgingly as a term it's just useful it, it's quicker right than saying bitcoin and blockchain all the time so that's the that's one of these these issues with all these these crypto tokens is that you know anytime you get a new one someone is financially incentivized to pump it mm. you to build a community around it to because a lot of the time you know um you have this ico mechanism i think they, they died out a little bit but i think they they still exist in kind of under different terms this initial coin offering you know back in 2016 17 even when i started working in like 20 um 18 19 Mm. This was a really popular mechanism for raising funds and raising capital to do something or propose, supposedly to do something as a business instead of, you know, looking for venture capital and, and, and trying to raise via the classic routes. You would instead launch a token that is used. You know, that's a, a token that re is required for your business to operate and the founders would get 50 percent of the supply. Right. So it's like if Satoshi had just taken 10 million bitcoins for himself, you know, and then told everyone else to buy them obviously the the incentive is for them to grow that community to pump the token mm. price and that that whole concept is used in, in in popular culture now it's in it's in things like um silicon valley the tv show you know i couldn't believe it when it got into that i was like jeez we've, <laughs> we've gone full circle now um i you know what about like specific people right in uh in the crypto bro world who would are there are there any people you you would know of as good examples of this, because I know we, we, we saw the meme in 2021, the laser eyes cult, right? That was an easy way to spot a crypto bro uh, in, in 2021 when everyone was like, it's going to the moon, you know, Bitcoin's at 60K, it's going to a million, you know, who, who are the worst offenders for you? Dude, I literally couldn't even name any. Like, I am so far removed from the crypto bro space. Like, I don't know people associate me with that, but I, I do think of myself as a techie. <laughs> And like, I feel like the, the over the Venn diagram between techies and crypto bros is really limited. I think like, you know, you're talking about these phil philosophies between crypto bros and being like, because obviously they have skin in the game. When techies tend to have this conversation, it's like, what's the superior tech? You tend to have a logical discussion about this stuff. Whereas like you say, when it's crypto bros, because it's like such a high level and they don't really understand what they're selling properly. It's very much just like, you know, mine's better than yours. Yours is better than mine. Uh, you know, it just kind of devolves into a, a, a 
crypto throwing contest, I guess, like for one of a better word. But um, yeah, I actually can't name a single crypto, bro. Like, go on, you've got to know. You've been in the space for a long time. You follow all the, the crypto Twitter and the crypto Reddits and everything else. Who are the worst offenders for this? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot. And it's actually, it's harder to name them now because it's a crypto winter and people have, uh, have, have, mm. have got a lot quieter about about this. If I was to name one or two, I think one would definitely be Michael Saylor, who is actually okay. a relative yeah. newcomer, right? You know, best newcomer in the Crypto Bro Awards. Hmm. But he's he's only hmm. been kind of active in the space for a couple of years now, again, 2020, 2021. Um, but he kind of embodies, in my opinion, the um, the the techno babble side of, 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 of crypto culture and crypto Twitter, where there's a huge amount uh, or a huge amount of words said to say very little mm. at all, you know, talks about uh, the, one of the classic memes is magic internet money. And then extrapolating <laughs> that to talk about, you know, how, um, how Bitcoin is physics and how Bitcoin is, is, is um, monetized energy and stuff like that. And it just gets oh, super God. meta, you know, I, I can't, I can't listen to yeah. any of that. I think he's a good example. Another one would might be like uh, the Winklevoss twins, right? I think they're a good example mm they're not so happy with what happened with Facebook. So their, their second big gamble is to get, to get, to go big on, on crypto. And I think um, they're, they're very similar, right? It's kind of the classic um, uh, giga Chad vibes, you know, crypto people. <laughs> Honestly, I'm you just... come up with these terms. I'm so far removed from these terms. They just kill me. Half the time I have to Google like what you're saying, like giga Chad. I've not heard before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it, it, it's it's crazy and like I, I do try and remove myself as much as possible from that world you, you can't avoid it to be honest uh, a lot of the time although crypto winter's helping to, to be frank um but yeah so r- rather than just being fully disparaging about about crypto is there anything positive we can we can say i don't want to be completely negative like is there anything in your mind that is a redeeming quality of the crypto industry like what's it done in a positive in a positive light I think what I was saying before around the, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think a lot of people came to the Web3 space because of the term crypto. And maybe it was to make a quick book. Maybe it was like, you know, venture capitalists that were trying to get into investing companies to make a quick book, whatever it was. And they probably quickly realized if they actually did the due diligence on this stuff, that there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of BS. And I assume that the, despite that, maybe it's because they had skin in the game already, they stayed there to find the utility and to find the people that were actually working on the fundamental technologies that could actually, you know, benefit society. So I think that's the one element, you know, it gets a lot of publicity. People think they want to make lots of money. The news headlines are always saying, oh, Bitcoin's the worst thing in the world. Ethereum's the worst thing in the world, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, through that, people are like, oh, what is this? This is interesting. And then say if like 1% of the people who hear this terrible news are like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to do a little bit of digging. And 1% of that 1% then like, oh, there's actually a lot of good technology here. This is very interesting. And then 1% of that start working on it. I think that brings a lot of people to the space. Like, like whatever you say, is like the people that do fundamentally understand the basics of cryptocurrency, understand the fundamentals of blockchain, hopefully as well. And they can start to apply that to different applications. And that could come, with, come up with real world use cases that go beyond you know, the speculative nature of cryptocurrency that we've talked about. So that is a big thing for me is that it is popularizing something probably in the wrong light, but bringing people in any way who can then hopefully see the light and try to build applications with utility on top of that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm of the same mind that like 
the very fundamental core of, of something like Bitcoin is a, a fundamentally positive thing. Like if we did have a global digital cash that didn't rely on any one government, I think that's strictly better than you know fiat currencies that do rely on a government. And when I say strictly better, I mean, I think it's better that we have the alternative, right? That we have mm-hmm. some kind of, some kind of uh, backup currency, right? Because if you think of, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a, a country with a despotic leader where people have to flee or a country's economy just goes down the toilet out of nowhere and, and goes into hyperinflation, it's good to have a kind of reserve asset that isn't, isn't subject to that and is kind of, yeah. I think the ultimate state for something like Bitcoin is that it could grow as hard, as large as something like the US dollar and beyond. Mm. And it becomes like the global reserve currency. I think that would be great. Um, and I don't think it will get there without being used as money. I don't think it gets there just by being a store of value because, mm. uh, you know, as we've seen in BTC, it's just too expensive to use it when um, with the mo- with the model they employ. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, the actual overarching goal of Bitcoin should be to become a really good reserve money and when it is a reserve money you know just like the dollar it should act as a pretty good store of value it should act as mm. a pretty good exchange it should have all these functions that we want it to have but it's um it's just a long way off that as you say i think one thing that's kind of related to that as well is through governments kind of you know understanding the fundamentals of blockchain through all you know people in their countries using cryptocurrency but then also having the fear that all the people in their country are now using cryptocurrency I think this is going to lead to a whole new world of CBDCs, which I think will add a lot of value to society. Like we're seeing like 80% of countries around the world are now considering CBDCs. Like it blows my mind that we don't have like CBDC already. Like how, how much of our economy is based in the digital world? How can we not have a government backed digital currency to actually operate in these spaces? I think, yeah, CBDCs in a similar way are something positive that's going to come out of all this crypto speculation BS. Yeah. And also all the other stuff that we talk about with blockchain specifically, and, you know, we haven't mentioned at all with, with the crypto discussion already, but the immutability, data integrity, you know, anchoring digital ID, all these other useful applications that we've talked about for weeks now, um, we don't get the best form of those, i.e. like true immutability, true transparency. We don't get any of those benefits and those use cases mm-hmm. coming about unless at least one public blockchain which requires at least one crypto token to work mm. scales, right? We need one to succeed. And it, we literally won't get those without the success story of at least one crypto. So, you know, it has to be a good thing. I just think in the, yeah, you yeah. Know, in the current state of, you know, how I, I did have a check before I've got it written down. It's something like, yeah, here we go. 23,000 cryptos have been made, you know, about 8,000 of those are still active, but it's just, it's crazy. We don't need 8,000 currencies. Um, on top and of the, fiat currencies is crazy. I think this is one of the things where you're talking about success. We need one cryptocurrency to succeed. Like I said, the metrics for crypto are so incorrect right now. It shouldn't be measured in market cap. It shouldn't be how much value is being held. It should be how many people are using it day to day, like how many transactions are actually being used by everyday users. That should be the metric for success of these cryptocurrencies. And I think that kind of mindset really has to change in the space. Yeah, I think they refer to it as the velocity of money, right? You have to have a high velocity. So how many, yeah, how frequently is it transacted? But also what's the volume? So what's the total amount of money being transacted, you know, flows in mm. and out of the system or within the system per day? I think that they're the important metrics that, you know, we want to we wanna consider. Um, I, I guess another thing I'd say about, 
you know positive of crypto is that it it has such a, a low barrier to entry that it it does allow things to get off the ground more easily because mm. good ideas done well can start making money from day one you know you've seen things like uniswap you know that's just a great idea implemented and executed really well and they it's not like a billion dollar company right and and, and mm. it it serves a market need does it very well um and there was virtually zero barrier to entry which is great yeah. i think that's that's a really good thing like say what you want about the scalability of ethereum it operates as a platform that people can build on very easily which is you know uh, we didn't really have that before and there's a there's a high barrier it's much less so now to build like a classic web 2 app um but in web 3 there's a barrier of education and understanding but the barrier to monetizing a web 3 app i think is that's what i want to say is much much lower than monetizing a web yeah. 2 app in the historical world which is you know that's good i think good ideas can succeed in that in that model yeah and i think that um it's like the dim- the democratization of investing in wealth management right or wealth um gain like people can get more mm-hmm. readily into the space because there's lower barriers to entry on the flip side of that that's why we have all these ponzi schemes and people losing a lot of money because there's little regulation and i think on the whole how does crypto succeed and we need one crypto to be successful and all this kind of stuff i think we need to see a lot more everyone says this we need to see a lot more regulation in the space and the anarchists who are in crypto will hate this kind of stuff and i think it's probably a good thing they hate this kind of stuff because regulation needs to happen like for these technologies to be adopted safely and securely and adopted by the masses, we need regulation, we need government approval to say, yeah, this, you know, Bitcoin, we approve this, get on it, use this exchange, use this wallet, everything's good. And you will get that adoption and that kind of utility and usage in everyday life. And I think the regulation needs to come for, for all of this to be successful and something that I think a lot of people, especially the crypto bros and the super chads, whatever they're called, will resist. But it's, it's got to come, right? Yeah, 100%. As we said it before, regulation is absolutely key. And if I was to, you know, if I had one word to describe crypto, I would say speculation. If I had two words, I'd call it the Wild West because it's been a lawless kind of thing for the last, you know, God knows what, as long as it's been been a thing. Um, and, you know, that kind of brings us on to the negative aspects, right, which are pretty obvious. I mean, this is the, this is the stuff you'd know about as a as a as a kind of just a, anyone in society has a probably a, a mostly bad depiction of what crypto is for obvious reasons, you know all mm. the pump and dump scams you've had all those ICOs I mentioned the Ponzi schemes people mm. pumping NFTs you know I mentioned before celebrities endorsing NFTs to make a quick buck and, and essentially mm-hmm. abusing their their position of power and you've got all these different lawsuits coming now um, against social influencers social media influencers for doing this kind of stuff I mean it has just been a complete kind of cesspit which has not had proper oversight and you know we are starting to see a bit of that now in the us but it's it's still very unclear um with what's happening with the sec and and the cftc starting to take action somewhere but not quite applying them across the board so Mm. yeah i think i think i think a lot of the 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 real losers are retail investors at the end of the day people who put their money in and that you you can find millions of stories at this point of people who've lost life savings to to investing in yeah. crypto and losing it all. And I think, like we said, that crypto in a way has brought 
a percentage of percentage into the light of the benefits of Web3 and blockchain. But I think a lot of these like big negative stunts have really affected blockchain and the Web3 space because most people, when they hear that and you pitch Web3 and the benefits of blockchain, they think crypto are oh, a Ponzi scheme straight away. Even if you're developing an application, it's got nothing to do with cryptocurrency, or at least on the surface, it's got nothing to do with cryptocurrency. And I think this is a massive negative effect of crypto. It's like kind of anyone who's working in web three probably has experienced this baggage on them. Right. And it, yeah, it does get difficult at, at times. Yeah. It's what, you know, it's what they always say about new technologies are, you know, will be used for good and for ill, you know, um, mm. the car when it was invented was used by criminals and then it was used by the police to chase the criminals. Like it, it can be used in, in both ways. And I think, uh, you know the, the the example that everyone will know about now is, is FTX, right? The um, yeah, what happened with that last year and you know, the alleged goings on there with a now an eight billion hole in missing customer funds that were being allegedly commingled between mm. uh, Alameda Research and, and, and FTX is it's crazy because that you know do you, do you remember the Super Bowl in twenty twenty? Would it be twenty one or twenty two? Twenty two. Well, the fact that they when they sponsoring it or doing ads for it or something. Yeah, it it was it was the Super Bowl where basically every halftime ad was crypto and you mm. know, FTX had, had 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 bought like a ten year license or something to sponsor a stadium. It was all over the shirts everywhere, and then you had this advert. Um, and really, really sadly, I was I was sad to see Larry David involved in this. Have you have you seen Curb mm. Enthusiasm, Alec? No, no, it's one of my absolute all time favorite shows. It's like one of my favorite comedians, and mm. he had kind of famously never done an advert in his life until <laughs> this Super Bowl advert for FTX. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't just him. It was you know, the t Tom Brady. There were so mm. many big names advertising for this and eff effectively giving the green light to investors to say, hey, go and put your money in this. And to be fair, you know, at the time, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the kind of CEO of FTX, was like the mm. darling. He was the... He was the golden boy, the, the good, acceptable face of crypto at the time and completely endorsed by so many institutions, had mm. massive backing from, from from huge investors who would normally be you know, very shrewd and ended up writing off their investment completely. It just shows how bad it can, it can be in an environment like this where the regulation isn't well defined. Um, and, and at the end of the day, again, it's always retail investors who are held we're left holding the bag when things go wrong which is by far the biggest problem we've got with with crypto yeah i wonder if there's any are there any lawsuits that kind of came about from that obviously not just at ftx but all the celebrities that endorsed it and all this kind of stuff i can imagine they had to do the due diligence and just didn't right yeah i'm pretty sure there is there is maybe a class action against a bunch of influencers i don't know if it's just related to mm. ftx um, but obviously, FTA, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried himself is is currently, I think, living on bail somewhere. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and is going to be, I think, is going to trial sometime in the next nine months or something like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with that. But um, you know, as I said, FTX 2.0 is being discussed again, and, and another <laughs> another example would be um, Luna. You know, that's that's. Mm -hmm. I said earlier, Uniswap's a great kind of decentralized finance protocol that is a good idea executed well and done and, and has done well. Then you had Terra Luna, which is was this algorithmic stable coin, which was meant to kind of keep the stable value of the coin by having this two token system yeah. um, and, and using an algorithm to keep the price the same. And that completely collapsed, you know, triggering huge 
financial losses for so many people. And that, you know, they, they've gone to a 2.0 as well. It's crazy that we keep getting it happen. I just don't see a way out until the regulators kind of really start cracking down on it. Well, regulation is always laggard to technology, right? So it's going to take a while for them to catch up. I think um, one other negative impact that I've seen, and this is kind of like what the promise of cryptocurrencies were meant to be, that they were meant to be these you know, more efficient versions of you know, cash or digital cash or electronic cash, however you want to describe it, that you know, didn't have unnecessary intermediaries. So you assume that the transaction costs were lower. And you look at like the transaction costs of Ethereum or BTC right now, it's costing like $40, $50 to send anything at any time. Like it's crazy. I think the negative impact of that is most people assume that that is what cryptocurrency is. And it was never meant to be like that. And I think this it's a real like, it's quite sad, to be honest, to see that this is like how that's kind of ended up. And it was never intended to be like that. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the uh, the crypto industry, I, I got to use the quotation marks, has really lost its way from kind of the the humble beginnings of Bitcoin and wanting to be digital mm. cash. I think it's a real it's a real mess now with some really promising things in it. Like there are diamonds in the rough, um, yeah. but looking to the future, I guess it's just a question of of how many will genuinely provide value for millions, billions of people in the future. I mean, we, we mentioned we need at least one coin to survive, I think, you know, to, to anchor all these actual utility applications we talk about on the show. Do you think one is enough? Do you think we should be, you know, is there a healthy number? Because if we're going from 8,000 right now, what's the happy medium, do you think? Uh, it's hard. Like, I think there's this whole thing around when you look at traditional financial systems, like you what it kind of lends itself to centralization in a way like you have like four payment uh, merchants that operate in the US. And the reason for that is you don't want to have, you know, 50 different payment merchants or a thousand because then you have to whip out different cards for different machines and interoperability and consistency becomes difficult. So I, might, I really doubt there'll be many. I think what's the classic that got uh, Bitcoin is the gold and Ethereum is the oil or whatever it is, something like this. I imagine there'll be like, you know, two to three or something like this in the next 10 years. And things like crypto winters, like a lot of people, like I said, we we keep saying here, they think it's a bad thing. But like I say, it does hopefully emphasize the diamonds in the rough in the same way that the dot com bubble, everyone thought it was going to be the value of the internet, but really it just found the the businesses that actually had the kind of I guess the the metal to succeed right and I'm hoping that's going to happen during this crypto winter if not this one maybe the next one yeah if uh, if if you say Ethereum's the oil which ones are the snake oil that's my question but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice may, may, maybe for another another episode so yeah I think um I think I've got everything off my chest for now about uh, about crypto <laughs> I think uh, that was pretty cathartic uh, but it's it's nice to, to to talk about this kind of thing once in a while I think. This is like a therapy session for you. I can see that you're like raging red right now for the people that can't see Jack. But yeah, it was good. This was an interesting one. I just want to thank you all for listening, wherever you may be. And we'll see you next time to untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3.
The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.